Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measures. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Because when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the By The Minute AFC podcast. We are absolutely chomping at the bit this week to get going because we have an actual game of football to discuss. Uh, Joining me this week, I have as always Richard Hay. How are you doing Richard? Good Martin, thank you. And we also have, well we have football writer, musician, but mostly he's our semi-regular tactics expert. We have JJ Bull back on the show. How are you doing JJ? I'm good, thanks for having me on. No problem, it's great to have you back. Uh, we've got a packed show this week. Uh, we obviously have a Burnley game to discuss, uh, an upcoming Burnley game to discuss, and then we have the visit of them cut this coming Sunday. Uh, so we're going to get right to it. The Burnley game last Thursday, first leg at Pataudry, Richard. Uh, we saw competitive debuts for Tommy Hoban, uh, Mikey Devlin and Lewis Ferguson. I think it would be unfair to single out performances by each pl- by each individual players because I think everybody had a really good game. Lewis Ferguson was a surprise for me in the starting lineup, though. Um, obviously, perhaps there's maybe an injury worry on some of their players, but uh, Lewis Ferguson, if he can keep up performances like that, we're going to forget who his family are, aren't we? He did well. He did so well. You kind of forget he's 18, and certainly his physicality makes you forget that too. He's definitely no waif-like attacking midfielder. He's, he's a, he's a well-built well boy. I think more of a surprise for me opposed to who started were, were the two that didn't start, two of the summer signings that didn't start. Stephen Gleeson and uh, Chris Forrester, who, who you really thought would be the two kind of key midfield signings this season, and neither of them started. Gleeson getting half an hour later on um, when he took Ferguson off. But I think in terms of how we set up in midfield, I think Don Ball was was obviously brought in for that uh, for that additional cover for the centre halves. A role he, he played pretty well. I think we'll see him play there quite a lot in the bigger games, the games against the harder teams, as we did towards the end of last season. I still have concerns about his distribution and his ability against teams we're going to need to try and open up. Uh, maybe, and I well, I hope. Derek McInnes is a little bit bolder in those games and maybe goes with someone a bit more offensive as part of the, as a deeper line midfielder on those occasions. But last Thursday, Dominic Ball slotted in like he, like uh, he'd never been away, which really he hasn't. Uh, Tommy Hoban did pretty well at left back. He is a right-footed defender. Derek McInnes reiterated today that really he was brought in as his right-sided centre-half cover. Uh, obviously, it looks like Devlin is going to be the starter there, uh, but Hobbin can play across that back four, which is a great versatility, uh, versatility to have. And it looks like, again, he's well-built, he's got physicality, which uh, 
gives him a chance of succeeding down south and certainly should uh, see him uh, do well up here when he gets the opportunity. I thought at times, obviously, he and McGinn down the left struggled a little bit with uh, with Aaron Lennon and his pace. If Lennon got one-on-one against him, I think we were a bit fortunate a few times that Lennon's delivery into the middle wasn't really up to much. I think, again, we're in a situation where, against quality wingers, any of our left-backs are going to struggle. Any of them are. So I thought he, he did okay. Uh, certainly for a guy that came in 24 hours beforehand. And uh, looks like, he again, he'll be a good squad addition. Mikey Devonthor, I was, I was generally really impressed by, uh, again, just a, a big unit of a centre-half. And that's been noticeable in terms of McInnes' summer recruitment, I think. Uh, the sort of physicality that's been brought in. He and McKenna appeared to have very early days, obviously, but he appeared to have the, the makings of a very good centre-half partnership to my eyes. JJ, uh, uh, we lined up um, what I suppose you would describe as like a 4-1-4-1 um, But that midfield three was what I was really impressed by um, Shinny, as always, I thought was was sensational Dominic Ball, as Richards discussed there, was great And so was Ferguson um, what, did, what did you make? I mean, did you did, was that how you expected us to go into the game? Um, I had no idea how we go into it, to be honest um, I think the shape works really, really well And... I really was very impressed with the, the two central midfielders, Shinny and, uh, and Ferguson. They're playing like like free eights almost, you know, the way Man City play, and they can come forward. And uh, the two wide boys, um, Kai Stephen and McGinn, uh, moved into attacking bases really well. I thought we pressed well from the front. I think Shinny was excellent. He was playing like a ten at times. It was kind of weird, and the whole team just. Put in a really good performance. The defensive shape is interesting too. As soon as there's turnover, it's dropped back to it's quite a deep defensive line, and the second line of defence was the the midfield turned into like a a five, I guess, with Dom Ball behind. I thought Ball was excellent. I think you're right. Um, although his passing needs to work on that a wee bit. He keeps hitting the wrong shirt. I thought as well. Um, talking about. Um, Mackay Steven and about McGinn I thought they, they did um, they did their jobs defensively more or less I think obviously they're, they're going to have their limitations but I thought and I was really surprised that and uh, maybe this says a lot about the, the level of quality beneath the top six in England but I thought they did really well at, uh, at turning the Burnley fullbacks and uh, you know making them uh, giving them quite a few uh, worrying moments throughout the 90 minutes and it was encouraging obviously when we look ahead to this Thursday when if we want to stay in the tie we're going to have to try and score and obviously that was it was partly based on the game situation where we go ahead that suited us to sit back and maybe hit on the break but Obviously, the worry from Thursday night's uh, Thursday night's display was that it was compact, it was competitive, but maybe we didn't really create very much. It was wise to approach it cautiously. I thought um, I really liked the, the press from the front. It was very energetic. It's one of the most energetic performances I've seen in a long time. They looked full of energy uh, and kept going right up until the very end. I think Burnley at home will have far more about them. They'll now know what Aberdeen's all about. They didn't look underprepared, but they looked almost as though they weren't quite ready to be got at so much. I liked that they put um, GMS, um, they kept saying in commentary on, um, on uh, Aberdeen TV, that as soon as there's a turnover in our half, GMS was just woof, up the wing to try and take advantage of, I think it's Ward on the left, and uh, it was kept leaving space in behind, and that was a really good outball. I think... Um, they really wanted to have Considine, a left-back, 
to um, to protect against these diagonal balls that Burnley tend to play, which is exactly what they scored from, actually. The, the diagonal ball played from just inside their own half, hooked across into the penalty area and the, the header away. Devon had the header that he kind of got rid of, but you wonder whether Constantine might have just powered into that header that Hogan and McKenna got mixed up for. Yeah, it, it's a bad goal to lose. That Again, that's maybe the key frustration from the evening as a whole. But we did deal with a lot of what they had to offer. But the goal, when it came, it's just a long ball, as you say, a diagonal one. Don Ball loses the header quite easily, the first header to, to Wood. Then, um, yeah, both McKenna, neither McKenna nor Hogan really cover themselves in glory. Uh, McKenna tries to win the ball by going through the man, which is never never a great idea. Holman makes a kind of half-hearted attempt to, to nod the ball back to his keeper. And um, that uses his body strength well, gets a break of the ball to some extent, and obviously finishes well. It, it, it seemed like a cheap goal to lose at the time, and every viewing I've had subsequently backs it up for me. So it, obviously frustrating because yeah, for the most part, um, I mean you had the you had the one sort of reflex save by Joe Lewis and then this panic in our box immediately afterwards. But again, for the most part, didn't cause us too many problems. Again, yeah, of course. So they're going to be a week further advanced in seven days' time. But so are we. That was our first competitive game of the season, as it was theirs. Um, if we are. If we were further along in our pre-season and better prepared for last Thursday, I think that speaks volumes about Burnley's lack of preparation as opposed to us simply being ahead of the curve. I'm not sure they're that fast even about staying in the competition, to be honest. It's kind of a happy boost. It seems odd to me to work all season and not, not really care. I feel like that that goal um, won't happen or wouldn't happen if we'd been a few weeks ahead and Hogan was settled. I think it's a little bit of indecision, a bit of hesitation by both McKenna and Hogan. I'm just not sure quite what to do. But, by the way, that, uh, the control to flick it into the air and finish is absolutely brilliant by the, the Burnley striker. Uh, it's a really well-taken goal. It seems cheap, but you could say that, you could argue that maybe McGinn should have been tighter to the, I think it was McGinn was still on at the time, tighter to the boy who hit the diagonal ball over in the first place. And I think the, it was a weird positioning as well. I think it was Devlin was missed the header, wasn't it? It was, it was bold for the first header against Wood. Um, it's it's weird positioning. He's just slightly to the wrong side of the defender. I'm not quite sure. He gets it. held off quite easily, yeah. It's about three mistakes. Uh, I don't think it'll happen later in the season. But it's, I mean, it is interesting that you, you reckon they're going to have more about them because I'm not sure their game plan will change, change that substantially, to be perfectly honest. They, they tend to line up the same way every single time. You know, it's a 4 4 one, one or a 4 4 2. Changes in, in different phases of the play, but. It's, they're just like that. They attack with, like, with full-backs when they can. The midfielders get more central to try and block, and they just drop into nice space. They don't score that many goals, but they don't concede many either. The problem. And certainly two years ago, their strength and, and what got them into a solid league position two seasons ago was their home form. But last season, it was actually noticeable that they actually gained more points away from home than at home. Obviously, they still had you know a half-season, 26 points, I think, out of possible 57 at home. So it's, it's half-decent. It would have to be before you finish seventh overall. You know, you might have it in your head that they're, you know, that's, they're a fortress. It, it just didn't appear to quite be that way. I think all that leads to the fact that we're probably... We probably go down there with a, with a little bit more confidence when, than we really should deserve to have when you, when you add everything up. I think uh, equally before the first leg, everybody was perhaps a little bit more optimistic than than really we should have been. I think that's borne out of the last couple of years where we've really been outclassed in Europe. 
uh, at these stages, regardless of the sort of level of opponent. The one time you could say was was almost certainly was Sociedad away, where we were just we put in a poor performance that night, which didn't help. But but Sociedad just you know took the piss really for <laughs> towards the closing stages of that match. Although even then, it took them a good fifty five minutes to open the scoring, as I recall. What, what I got the sense of, so what I see down here, you know, I'm in London, but what I see down here is that uh, folk up north at home seem to almost treat it like, oh, and apparently from the Premier League, they don't know what's going to happen to them, they think they're so good, they are really good, and they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll probably show it at home. I think Aberdeen performed much better than I expected from that game, and they've certainly made a bit of a name themselves in Europe, but I, I really think that there's a big difference in just general quality. I mean, Cosgrove up front, right, so you can hold Paul up really well. His first touch isn't, isn't the best, but he did well. He held it up. He was in good positions. He got in amongst the defenders. They didn't like him. And then, um, you know, he cost £20,000. But he's he's not going to score you 20 goals a season. If they had, if Sam Vokes or um, Chris Wood played Travertine, they'd be on 30, 35 a year or something like that. But there's this little things you see, little difference in quality. They're probably a bit faster, a bit sharper, a bit stronger. And you saw how Burnley just didn't really tire towards the end, but they didn't, and they're not even finished their pre-season yet. A lot of that was to do with having a lot more possession, of course. And yeah, they were they were, they were clearly uh, neater on the ball, and they could, they could move it around. Once there was a spell halfway through the second half where they started to properly start to zip it around. But even then, that was you know we were sat very deep at that point. That was without necessarily opening opening us up. Of course, the challenge for us is that they have the advantage in the tie now, and we have to go there and do something. Which looks, of course, it looks very unlikely. We were huge underdogs before the tie started. I'm just saying, you know, I think a lot of people are travelling down with more optimism than you probably should expect us to have, based not only on the competitiveness of that first game, but also the fact that we've been over this course before. Yeah, I think we are, it's important to remember that Aberdeen are the underdogs in this. Uh, it's a really big opponent. The, the one saving factor that might help is that I don't, I'm not sure how motivated Burnley will really be, because they don't care about that competition whatsoever. Um, and that that sort of difference level. We saw it at the end of uh, the different motivation at the end of last season in the, in the Premiership when we beat Celtic. They just didn't really turn off and we were able to, you know, step on it and get that win. And I wonder if it might be something similar. I'm optimistic for the way like I think it could be okay. Although I must stress that Burnley are a lot better than they showed at Tottenham. I think if we'd go down there, uh, we are capable of creating chances. I mean, we did we did have chances in the game. Um, other than the penalty award, which uh, was very, very soft, but you know, I don't think any of us are going to complain about it. Um, there was obviously Cosgrove had a shot that was very tame and was dealt with quite easy. There was a great save by their keeper from that Gary Mackay Stephen header, which on another day we could be we could be you know doing cartwheels about this. Um, yeah, so there's there is reasons to be positive. Um, I think that we can we can get at them, but. You're re- I think we're relying on, on that level of performance being almost exactly the, the same again, or perhaps even a step up. I think you're going to need almost a, a perfect display, uh, and you're certainly going to need to take your chances that come along. You know, we went to we drew one one at home to Maribor a couple of years ago, and an experienced side who played Champions League, played group stages, Europa League. 
And we didn't take our chance. We missed a penalty kick over there and we ended up losing 1-0 for a freakish last-minute goal. But, um, I mean, we have to take our chances. You have to be clinical. And really, the story of our European ties over the past couple of years, the exits have generally been that we have to stop giving away cheap-looking goals at home because that those are the goals that tend to cost us. If we'd gone down there having held on to that 1-0 win, you, you wouldn't still necessarily put us as favourites, but you could see a lot, many more paths to us getting through than you can now. I think it really would, is going to have to be an almost perfect display. But I take JJ's point that Burnley themselves might not be super motivated. The fans last week, the one we spoke to on the podcast, anybody you spoke to in town on, on Saturday, it seemed like they were really up for it, really excited at being back in Europe. And then you, you pitch up today and read that they've, they've got 5,000 tickets left to sell for their home games. So maybe that's just not gone beyond the hardcore, that excitement at uh, being back in Europe. They'll approach it um, in, in much the same way. It'll probably be the same shape. I wonder whether uh, Forrester meant to be fit for the away leg. Well, I mean, he was on the bench for the home leg. Um, yeah. but you can make it in. I, I've not seen enough of any of him, really, to be able to know. But from what I hear about him, he would suit that, that six role that, that Ball was in. And uh, that's very important in that kind of game. Because if Burnley have the advantage more possession and they're pushing, it'll be all about counter-attacking down the wings. So... They did not like GMS whatsoever. Um, I think again, it was Ward was getting really wound up by him, and uh, was saying things in his ear. And you see, uh, the Stephen was laughing at him and trying his little flicks. And he's really good. I mean, he's got he's got a lot to play out of boy. So him and, and McGinn on either wing, just hiking down the way and Cosgrove trying to get a tap in. I mean, he should be able to convert something like that. Is a way I'd imagine will attack uh, with everyone else just keeping keeping back and keeping nice and you know solid. Two boys in central defence will be able to deal with any crosses that come in, I would think. The other thing as well, because the ball was there in that holding role, because the distribution is so poor, it means that you can't just take advantage of a turnover straight away. You can't get the ball out to the wing. You can't bring in the midfielder straight away. You often you know, make something dangerous happen and you can't rely on him. However, if Forrester can actually do that and take a pass... That was something that I thought that was. I mentioned last week to Richard that I was impressed with Gleeson about in the with the West Brom friendly is that like the distribution and picking passes of of, of Gleeson was really good. So if you've got Forrester and him, you know bo- both you know, hopefully fit and available, um, you know th- it might be we might see a change in the in the starting eleven. It's just a, so at this early stage of the season, it's it's obviously very hard to tell. Yeah, it's difficult to get that team together to gelled as, as you know they're so, so new to each other I, and you're right with Gleeson some of the passes the four passes he's made in between in between uh, lines of defenders and into the space especially in the channels uh, they were really really good and he opened them up a couple of times just in that little spell he was on yeah I think Gleeson's role when he comes into team full time will be in that defensive midfield sort of deep line playmaker role as I say more so maybe against those teams that we need to try and open up yeah. But um, I can't call it a six, JJ, because for me a six is a centre half. Sorry, I would call. It a three. <laughs> I would have to call. It a, I would have to call it a four. I would have to call it a four. Um, but but I think obviously it, it, Ferguson was was visibly tiring a little bit at that point. I think there was a concern that he wasn't quite getting close enough to Cosgrove to to really do anything in the box uh, if Sam was able to get to get a knockdown. Again, you talk about Cosgrove being able to, to put away a tap-in. Well, 
I think we sacrifice um, to have a guy like Cosgrove in there who's, whose responsibility is to hold the ball up, is to try and get on the end of cross balls or punt. I think you sacrifice someone who's got that instinct and poacher's ability, I, I fear. So I think the onus will be in other people to step up with goals this season, to be perfectly honest. I think you're exactly right. I mean, there's still time to sign another striker. A couple they've been linked with. Maybe Stevie May will come good. Yeah, let's talk about Stevie May a little bit then, because he came on towards the end on Thursday. And the, what he was able to do was stretch the game in a way that Cosgrove hadn't done, which was actually quite useful after yeah. it went 1-1, because because it meant it was a bit more end-to-end when Burnley had their tails up. And we could act, could easily have come away with a, with a 2-1 defeat on the night, which would have been which would have been quite galling. And it, he, he, without obviously getting anything away on goal or anything like that, there, there were just frustrating little hints that there's still that sort of player there who was able to ruffle up defenders and create something out of nothing. And it's, yeah, it's just not happening for him, though. It, it looks so close as well. I thought... The thing is, when you come into games like that, and I don't think you ever played um, as a striker in any sort of level of football, even some new league or anything like that. But in the very few times I've done it, I found you just chasing the ball around like a, a dog around a car park. You know, like there's, there's nothing. It's very difficult to know what you, where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing, who you're closing down. There's only one of you. You can't possibly deal with four people. Or why would you waste your energy just constantly pushing the ball to one side so they can clear it? In the line. I think he might offer a bit more on a counter-attack if he can um, find his touch but I think you're probably right actually do you know what it'll be one day it just clicks and you'll just remember or you'll find his magic boots in the, in the attic and it'll, it'll be one of those stories it wasn't you Stevie May it was the, the boots all along <laughs> there has been a lot. There was a lot of criticism after the game of Stevie May, which I feel was was a little bit harsh. Um, it some it was some the ball just wasn't really kind of coming from it. Was sort of a lot of times it was coming at his chest. And it was just bouncing, you know. On another day, you know, he's gonna he's gonna control every single one of those balls. And it just I felt that he just he came on, and a lot of times it just it just it just was one of those days where it didn't happen for him but there you mentioned there there clearly is glimpses of the, there is still a player in there there's definitely still a player in there and if you can if you can turn it round then you know maybe we wouldn't need another striker but we're still going to need a third striker because at the moment we've got Cosgrove and we've got May and there's not really anybody champing at the bit. Maybe Bruce Anderson might be able to push you a little bit harder but you know you don't have a couple of years ago obviously a big hopes for Conor McLennan they seem to have cooled a little bit. Just yeah there's no one really champing at the bit. Bruce Anderson being closest from from the youth team. So so obviously we're going to get we are going to bring in another striker. There's no point doing it for the European games at this point. With the uh, we spoke about this last week, with the deadline down south being August the ninth and us having to the end of August, it surely makes sense now just to, to see if we can get the best quality we possibly can with our budget, rather than trying to rush just to fill up a squad now. That sounds about right to me. I mean, all the players we've been linked with have been defensive forwards, target men. It looks like there's a specific kind of player that McInnes wants, which makes sense. You've got um, May as sort of it's like ten and a half, you know, he doesn't I don't think he's a nine really. Um and then you've got Cosgrove who definitely is, but he doesn't have that finishing touch. He's gonna to be useful, I think, as maybe an impact sub and as someone who holds the ball up if we against Burnley. But then we need someone who just 
knows how to get into the box at the right time. Maybe a maybe a poacher kind of player, you know, a bit like how Rooney was a few years ago before he lost all of his pace. Yeah, it's interesting. I read someone this week suggest that um, Kenny McLean is going to be harder to replace for Aberdeen than, than Adam Rooney. I can see the logic in that, but I don't agree with it because getting someone who can regularly supply you goals in a team is probably the hardest thing for any manager out there to be able to do. And you consider that Dermot McInnes's last uh, few signings as strikers for Aberdeen have included Sam Cosgrove, yet to score, Stevie May, four, five goals in 20-odd appearances, and uh, Nicky Maynard, no goals in 25 appearances. Th- that's obviously exaggerated because many of those were late substitute appearances. So so as much as Kenny McLean is technically a far better footballer than Adam Rooney and therefore on that basis harder to replace, you can change up that mix in midfield and hopefully be able to improve the midfield unit without necessarily being able to bring in a player as good as Kenny McLean, but you might not be able to replace the goals which Adam Rooney generally represented, at least until uh, the second half of last season. I, I do to the extent, I, I think McLean is an absolutely brilliant player, and that's obvious, I'm just saying obvious there. But I think that someone who can score the goals is obviously very important, and that's why they're so valuable, and that's why it's such a struggle to get anyone in with any quality who is affordable, and who wants to come up to, to Scotland. But, you know, you don't score unless you create chances. And McLean controlled games. He used to just be in charge of it. He could lead, by example. His range of passing was excellent. He could hit a pinger from 20 yards. I think he'll be a really big mess. Gleeson or Forrester or whoever can step up and replicate some of the key patterns that Kenny McLean was responsible for. That would be really hugely important. There must be someone nipping about who can who can do a job like Adam Rooney. Like he was just in the right place at the right time most of the time. He never was that good at holding the ball up. He's not got any pace really. I don't think he'll be a huge loss. No, Rooney Rooney if you look at him, he shouldn't he shouldn't have worked. It it just shouldn't have worked. But it yeah. did, it absolutely did. You got that ball in the box, in and around the box, it worked. He just, he had that just innate ability to find half a yard of space. And, um, absolutely, he's thrived in the service of, uh, Johnny Hayes in particular, who, who yeah. liked to get to the byline and fire balls in. Uh, less so maybe when now again, it was a player that likes to cut inside. And obviously last season, Mackay Stephen does the same. He cuts inside rather than heading for the byline. So, style of the team changed last season significantly. That generally had an impact on Adam Rooney. And um, we weren't able to find anyone last season who were, was reliable enough to replace those goals. But we, as the season went on, it became clear that Derek McInnes was moving away from Adam Rooney as a, as a starter. So, it, no, I just I just wanted to make... Kenny McLean, absolutely, second half of last season, dragged us through games by... Uh, on his own in some respects. But we waited quite a while for Kenny McLean to be that sort of player. You know, if we'd had that Kenny McLean from the outset, then you know, we would have been warding off huge bids for him during the course of his contract. We often discuss this, JJ. I don't know, I don't know what you think, but Kenny McLean was... Uh, we almost struggled to name a midfield position for him because it, you know, he was kind of operating between the lines and doing a couple of different roles within the within the space in a one ninety minute spell. 
I'd call an advanced playmaker. <laughs> Who sat very deep. Well, you, you can just have him drop him deep in these two. He was looking at a free roll when he was there. But the thing he did very well was get involved all of the time. And like you said, he dragged us up towards the end of the season. Um, that's what he was very good at doing as an all-round midfielder. But he was, a, you know, he, he created um, and he could shoot. So he's probably attacking with like that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. He's gone now. <laughs> this, what he did, the most that will be missed is the, the kind of way... The, the thing when I talked to McInnes I interviewed a while ago with him is he said that when he brought in players, he wants to bring in captains, you know, people who, who lead. Because that's how you drag others up alongside you. And you've got Shinny in there, you've got McKenna now as well. And having someone else in that team would be just quite useful to really step up. And McLean had that. He also had that um, range passing and the ability to shift a gear. I was thinking about getting a striker. The best ones, you know, that are affordable will be dead young. And it might be a real idea to go looking for um, the youth players in the, some of the youth academies down in the Premier League if you need some game time. Find the next Harry Kane. That'll be easy to do. <laughs> but that's what they should do. You know, there's like, um, Gerard's got the boy Ryan Kent, and he's got um, a couple others, in, uh, Ajaria from Liverpool. Obviously, he's pals with them, so that helps. But if the likes of them are getting sent up to the Scottish Premiership to play, then why wouldn't, you know, one of the Arsenal youngsters or a Spurs youngster who's just waiting to prove that they can play that level yeah and all that that obviously feeds into the idea of waiting until after the 9th of August okay in a lot of cases uh, teams will know who is and who isn't going to be in the 25 but again the whole English uh, league structure they all close on August the 9th so you know you'll have young players who haven't gone out to Two lower division clubs in England who, yeah, are still chumping at the bit. So you would think there would be opportunities there. Um, obviously, you know, what uh, the wages we pay will still be a factor, no doubt, in terms of uh, who we're able to recruit. But I'm sure that's on his mind. It's a market he's used fairly well. Okay, it, there have been misses as well. But, you know, you consider the quality uh, from uh, of younger English-based players like Danny Ward and James Madison. It just... Yeah. You know, a, Head and shoulders above anything we could have attracted permanently. They're out there, easy to find them. And the problem is, I don't know how how the scouting network's really set up. There's not really a budget for the kind of scouting networks that a lot of clubs have. That they can identify these players from stats and attributes alone. You know, McInnes is quite forward thinking, but without that kind of backup, so I keep being linked with lower lower league players. We all tend to be Irish for some reason at the moment. There is definitely an analytics team now at Pitordry, uh, that much I know. But in terms of, I I think the scouting is very much still reliant on Russ Richardson. And it is, I I think when it comes to final decisions on players, it it seems to be quite old school and that McInnes will want to to lay eyes on them personally, which uh, maybe leads you away from from the work that any analytics team might be doing. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. You, any manager before he sends a player, if it's going to take up a big chunk of his budget, should do exactly the same. I know I was talking to, I'm sure I could say this, I was talking to people in charge of the football game, football manager, um, who their scouting network is used by clubs around the world. You know, I, 
don't think I can name individual ones, but a lot of clubs, Premier League clubs, European elite clubs, use their scouting network. And it's just part of Bingo Proving now as well. And I know that a couple of years ago, Aberdeen just couldn't afford it. And that's the kind of thing that clubs in the Championship will have, you know, the English Championship, which means they can identify these young stars and, and sign them nice and early and then scout them properly and then get people to have a look at them. You've got guiding analytics. I'd imagine it'll be more for scouting opposition yeah. and, uh, and things like that. So we are at a real disadvantage with that kind of scouting network. And some of the misses that McInnes has had, I mean, you have a feeling about them sometimes. And he tends to go for character over pure pure talent, I would say, in general. But I think now would be the time to get just a young hotshot, a guns in there and just stick him up front and get some goals in. There's, there's bound to be players in Championship or generally things out who are, what I was saying, you know, they're going to be good and they're young and they're hungry. And the good thing is that because uh, Rogers and Gerard are getting these kind of players in, it might give these other managers down south a little bit of a nudge so they think it's maybe a good idea to let these players get blooded in the Scottish Premiership. Well, the, I believe there's an app now as a Football Miser database, and it only costs like six quid. So if we can't afford that, we really are stuffed. <laughs> uh, that's not quite the same as the level of uh, I can drop it yet. We can surely spare that from the, the DNA budget. I think six quid's not, six quid's alright, isn't it? I'll pay it for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk about the, just talk a little bit more about the away leg. Obviously, I mentioned earlier on about keeping up to that level of performance. You did both mention, though, that, um, Burnley are gonna, be you know, a further a week on. Other than sort of Aaron Lennon on the wing, they did. They did I th- did think they did play a lot of long balls. Um, we're both we're, we're all impressed by Devlin and Devlin and McKenna. Um, they're going to have probably another pretty busy night, but it's a chance for them to to further impress. I mean, if they can keep that up, then we've got a hell of a hell of a partnership in defence. Um, if they can replicate anything like that type of performance, they're absolutely superb. The positioning and Awareness of the surroundings was like they've been playing together for years, and Burnley do play long balls, but that was only because their short passing wasn't really yielding results. Their best their best routes to goal were down the left channel between where uh, GMS and uh, and Logan were defending. They got a couple of passes in there. Lennon was okay, but he'll get you know as long as they get the tracks back and they get a two on one against him, he's he's dealable with. But the thing that I think Burnley will take away is that hitting those long diagonals, um, the only thing you can really do is head it away, and then Burnley tend to win the second ball. And uh, there's a bit of confusion in the midfield, just a bit of indecision, and I think they can take advantage of that, especially. If you look at the goal we did lose, it, it, actually, obviously they'd gone to two up front by that point, but it's actually pretty good movement from Wood as a second striker to go that far wide. And obviously it, it, it's a tactical thing that they do. To go, to go that far wide, to take him away from Devlin McKenna in the middle and make sure he was up against, well, on the right-hand side it would be Logan and, as it turns out, it was Ball. So, you know, I thought it was interesting that, again, even they'd recognised, right, we need to kind of almost work around these two. Very, very early days, but yeah, they, they did do well. Whilst we're still talking about the first game, by the way, um, if I can just take it off, the uh, the tactical analysis and the, the analysis of the football I, I thought the atmosphere was absolutely fantastic and it's one of those nights, it doesn't come around too often 
and um, it was just just fabulous to be a part of and fabulous to have maybe you know who knows maybe the last of those nights at that stadium and um, you know that's the reason that you you work all year and try and get into Europe for for big occasions like that for occasions where we can show and we can be competitive and and uh, obviously having the the full away end helps having the full away end not spending 90 minutes telling us about their version of Irish history helps as well and um, even the atmosphere in town as well was was great during the day a few incidents but it wouldn't be uh, young men getting drunk in a confined space without there being a few incidents and uh, hopefully when the Don support go down to Burnley this week it's uh, it's carried out in the same atmosphere Absolutely Richard yeah Um... Well worked as well. Big, big congratulations. Big thanks to the guys who organised the display in the Richard Donald stand as well. Um, that was excellent. I don't know how I don't know how much that would have motivated the players, but coming out and seeing that atmosphere, like you mentioned, Richard, and seeing that kind of display and that kind of colour in the ground, um, I would like to think that gave them a little bit of a lift as well. So yeah, huge credit to Mez and the guys behind the display. Also, uh, now I do not want to get too far ahead of myself here, uh, but if we get a positive result on Thursday. Um, we go into the next round, and we will be travelling to Istanbul uh, to place to play a team called let's let's try this one, Basaksehir. We'll go with that. Let's not look too far ahead, Richard. But um, another nice easy t- easy tie if we make it through, isn't it? Well, let's not because we can discuss yeah. this to our heart's content <laughs> next week. What I will say is, with seven days turnaround between uh, the away leg in Burnley and the away leg in in Istanbul, is that uh, any Dons fan that is able to make it out there has either got very deep pockets or a huge and limited supply of air miles in which to be able to make that trip because because uh, it certainly won't be cheap to make it out there at the height of summer. Uh, it's a, yeah, we, we touched on it last week. It, it's a, it's another really, really tough draw. For them to be unseated, unseated in the third qualifying round just reinforces the difficulty of um, making it through to one of those 13 spots that are available to, to non-champions uh, to make it to the group stages. That will be a wonderful dilemma to have come Thursday evening if we do manage to pull off a shock. And following Thursday's game, uh, we also, we have another game to look forward to on Sunday. Uh, the league business starts. The real stuff gets underway. We're at home to the Rangers for their first league game under their new manager. The saviour of Scottish football is here. He's going to turn Rangers around, uh, apparently. This will obviously be a different animal to the European game. Rangers will probably uh, JJ have the kind of new manager bounce, which will hope, which will hopefully bring a lot of pressure onto him and to them. But they're not going to look forward to coming up to coming up to Aberdeen, are they? It's difficult to tell, actually. I mean, are they going to be excited to finally get to show what they can do, or are they going to feel the pressure? It's, it's a kind of it's a new team. They look um, quite good. They look okay. There's a bit of lack of balance in there, and that's why he seems to be so desperate to sign all the players with their massive budget. They found out with a fucking hat somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they've got good players and they should win. But I really think the, the thing I think a lot of managers will, will find in players like DVG is that, and this is what people were talking about the difference in Scottish football thing, you know, things he's been used to, is that it'll just be a lot of the tactical stuff will go out of the window for a lot of the game. And then it just relies on sheer talent and mentality. And I think Aberdeen looks so well organised against Burnley that if we play like that, 
And when you take the game and you, it, it will always step up against Rangers, always step up against Rangers at home, it's just very difficult to manage. You saw with, uh, I know this is a Scottish football podcast, but um, when, for instance, Man United lost Fergie, that sort of, uh, that thing about them that made the, that fear factor, you know, we can't beat them, ah, that was gone. And Rangers, I think, have lost that since, you know, they became Rangers Part 2, Revenge of the Punch. And now I think what will happen with Gerard there is he's got to deal with, well, he actually has to learn on the job how you deal with that. Because what do you do? Do you, he wants to approach it by attacking them? Does he want to try and keep it steady and just hope that they get a win? It's getting really interesting. I really think we can beat them. Yeah, it's a a really intriguing opening day fixture. There is a lot of different angles and a lot of different subplots here. It's it's almost a shame in a way that it's coming so quickly off the back of uh, Burnley that it won't perhaps get the build-up it it probably deserves as it's a cracking opening day fixture. And it has the feel of something that could be fairly pivotal, actually. But then again, we said that about the fixture with them towards the end of last season and and it ended up uh, resolving nothing. I think we've got a wrong to right from the certainly most of the displays and, and the points haul against them from last season. There's a tangible hunger amongst the home support, as there rightly should be, to uh, to take points and to, to get victories against that side. Uh, you know, I see no reason why we why we can't um, why we can't manage that on Saturday, on Sunday rather, because, you know, as much as they have a bigger budget, I don't think they've necessarily spent it terribly well. And uh, they have brought in a whole new team this summer, which is going to take time to gel. We've made a, we've lost a few key players, certainly, but, um, you know, I think we've still got the core of the side, which obviously finished second last season. We're at home. We have had two very competitive games against Burnley to, to warm us up. And uh, yeah, we should be we should be ready to ready for what they can offer, and we we should be ready to meet them head on. Totally agree. Couldn't agree, well, couldn't agree more, Richard. Um, I think I think with the, we can't really add to that. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting couple of days um, for all Don's fans out there. It's been great being back with you again. All that remains is for me to thank Richard Hey once again. Thanks for coming back, Richard. Cheers, Martin. And once again, thanks to JJ Bull. JJ, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. All it remains to say is, ahead of another huge European night for Aberdeen Football Club, is come on you Reds. Mm-hmm.